then the loan goes through the process. Then the underwriter or the processor finds out, okay, you don't qualify. Now it's a dead deal. We know up front because our loan officers go through by far the most training of any company I know. We're actually setting up more training for them as we speak. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky. It's wonderful to have you back. And if this is your very first time on the show, welcome. I know you're in for a treat, especially today, because on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming founder and CEO of Stratton Equities, Mr. Michael McHale. Welcome to the show, Michael. Good, thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, you and I are going to be talking about a number of different topics, including entrepreneurialism, mortgage lending, commercial real estate, lending and loans processes, and the story behind Stratton Equities uh, and how it's fast becoming a household name for property investors. Now, before we do any of that, uh, Michael, I'm wondering if you could just share where you're calling in from today. Einbrook, New Jersey, about uh, 30 minutes west of New York City. Fantastic. Is that home for you? Um, I'm, I'm east a little bit, but yeah, pretty much in that area. Excellent. And uh, we always... Go ahead. Even though I did live in Sydney for about 13 months. Oh, wow. How did you find that? It was interesting. I lived in Maroubra Beach and I lived in Zetland. Yes. Uh, um, 2015 to 16. I was there with uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine. We actually, yeah. she's, she's Australian. We actually moved there from Dubai. Mm-hmm. It was in, The best thing is you guys had the best damn coffee. <laughs> I would have to that agree with that. Coffee, I, I mean, they get you in, in the airport with that coffee, man. <laughs> hey, tell me something. Given that it was a, a Sydney experience for you, did you happen to stumble across the famous Funnel Web Spider at all? Um, we did see, I don't know. I mean, I know, no, we saw the, the, um, the Huntsman, I think. Yes, that's one of them. Um, I don't think I saw the funnel web, Lucky. but uh, <laughs> definitely want to say, stay the hell away from them. But uh, we actually, when we lived in uh, Maroubra, we were actually backed up to um, a big park and you know, with a lot of snakes and a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, my biggest thing was I didn't want to cross the box jellyfish. Oh, no, absolutely not. That, that I did because I, I, I used to be a big swimmer. So that was a big fear of mine. So, well, no, it was fun. It was over 13 months. It was interesting. You've got to certainly keep your eyes open in, in Australia. That's for sure and certain, Michael. Now, when you, oh, when you, were, yeah. when you were growing up, uh, where did you live? Um, I grew up between Beirut, Lebanon, and New Jersey and Florida. So it was kind of bouncing around. Wow. What could you tell us about your, I guess, your childhood upbringing? It was obviously you're moving around a fair bit. What, did you enjoy it? No, I had a horrible childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which actually, you know what? I, I talk a lot about... So I study billionaires and I have a lot of extremely successful friends and I mm-hmm. study people that their backstory, because, you know, when you see an Elon Musk or you see or whoever, people only see the end result. Yeah. Nobody sees the backstory. And if you, I mean, I've said this for years, but I say it even more now, if you look at people that are super successful, most of them were bad in school. Mm-hmm. Most of them were something ADHD, dyslexia, something of the, which I have both. Right. Um, most of them had very rough childhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, and I mean, if you look at the story of um, Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins had a horrible childhood. Oh, yeah. he, he was also homeless. He, he 
he was down to his last six dollars multiple times and now he's worth almost a billion dollars so if you look at most people's stories that become very successful I mean, elon musk was eating hot dogs for a dollar a day yeah you know so they had a very rough childhood very rough upbringing uh I, you know when i was growing up you know i had extremely wealthy cousins extremely wealthy cousins uh from their father obviously and yeah. they had everything and they i mean i couldn't even begin to tell you the lives they lived when I was growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I obviously envied that because who wouldn't? Because you don't know any different when you're mm. you know, at that age. But as I grew up, they all amounted to nothing. They're all lazy bums. They all live off their dad's money in their 40s. Yeah. Um, and I'm much happier that I, yeah, I had a very rough childhood and a very rough upbringing. But to where I am now, and it, I would have never became who I, who I became if I had been fed by a silver spoon. Yes, that's wonderful feedback. I love this because it's it's really formative. You know, those early years, and there's a lot of people on today's call who take a lot of value away from the entrepreneurial experience, which I know you love talking about. So what do you think, um, uh, you know, in those early days really was the catalyst for your drive that you have today? Well, again, I had a really, um, horrible child, uh, upbringing. Uh, the only person that really believed in me uh, was my mother. I had no support from anybody, never got a dollar from anybody, never mm. had anything easy. So I never had anything easy. I, I don't know what it's like to just have something. I mean, now I kind of do a little more, but yeah. you know, growing up, I didn't know what it was like to have everything easy. Um, I'm not even gonna get into all, all the schematics of it, but yeah, yeah. you know, it, it was it, it was definitely, you know, very, very hard. I mean, I have family members today I haven't talked to in 15 years um and i'll never talk to them again you know when me and you are done we're done um but you know wanting a better life wanting to be successful wanting you know it's not good to say but material items that mm -hmm. i never begin to imagine you know when i was younger in those days um but also i've always been an entrepreneur you know i'm lebanese and I don't know any Lebanese person that, you know, that's not an entrepreneur in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. um, as you know, you're in Sydney, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And most and most of them are in real estate. Um, but, um, you know, when I was 15 years old, I remember I used to, you know, this is before, you know, things got as strict as they are. I used mm -hmm. to, 15, 16 years old, uh, teachers and students, parents would bring knives to school, literally give me knives. And I would take knives home and sharpen them with 15 cents a knife and bring oh, wow. them buckets of knives and, 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 and chisels and swords and axes and lawnmower blades. I had to bring them to school, you know, the mid nineties, obviously you couldn't do that today. No, no. But, um, and I, I was making, you know, decent money, you know, and I, I enjoyed it obviously. Um, but I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always, you know, it's it just always been, I started a car wash when I was younger. I had got into multiple types of businesses. The big thing is, you know, you, you, you have to know how to scale, um, I didn't know how to scale a business. I didn't really know how to grow a business when yeah. I was in my teens or early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know a lot of things at that time. But, you know, again, failure. I love failure, right? Every, I mean, Michael Jordan says it all the time of how much he failed to get to where he got, obviously, as, as the, one of the greatest in the world. And that's a big thing that I see with people is they're too scared to fail. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't want to fail. Oh, I don't want to do this. Well, that's, I mean, what got me to Stratton Equities was actually a vitamin company that I started after I came back to the States in 2000, early, very early 17. And the foundation of that company and the people that I met within starting that company, which 
didn't really work very well. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that kind of catapulted and what I learned kind of catapulted, you know, Stratton equities to, to getting where it got. So people don't realize that everything is connected. Like one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. Yeah. And if you don't get on the road and do whatever you're doing, you're never even going to get on the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is basically, you know, setting that goal, having that vision and sticking with it. Now, what do you say about risk? You, you obviously have been exposed to risk along the way. And, you know, for others, fear may have held them back. But should you embrace all sorts of risk? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I mean, again, I, like now I, I take very calculated risk. Mm. Um, I don't like I've never borrowed money. You know, this company has no debt. Um, I own 100% of the company. I've never sold shares. I've never taken on external debt, even with COVID. You know, we were shut down during COVID. 2020 was not a good good year for us. No. We were shut down for most of the year. Mm -hmm. um, so we lost, we lost a lot of profit at that time. But I, I never took on any debt, you know. So, you know, risk at the time, I don't know if you know my full backstory, but I was homeless for four years. Um, stealing bags of almonds to eat and sleeping on floors wow. so you know i had no choice you yeah. know it had it had to work and that's why you know you see a lot of people some people say oh have a plan b most people that are very successful will tell you not to have a plan b because when you have a plan b you don't give plan a 100 percent. is this about burning the boats sorry is this about you know the the analogy of burning the boats if we're going to go in on this we're going to go in 100 yeah, percent. there is no exactly. option hundred percent. And, and that's why, you know, I, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have a plan. You know, it was just make this work. And, you know, I literally, uh, I mean, focus, I mean, there have done numerous articles and interviews about me about focus mm -hmm. and sacrifice. And that's where people just, you know, they, they don't want to sacrifice. And most people don't want to sacrifice. They want to watch their sports and they want to have their weekends and they want to, they want to travel and they want to wake up late, they want to sleep late. You know, hmm. when I started this company, I was working 18 hours a day, seven days a week for the first two years nonstop. I still wake up at four o'clock in the morning every day, you know, but, um, and I don't have to anymore, but I still do. Still do. <laughs> um, it's, it's just the way it is. Um, that's just my, and I see very early, it's about nine o'clock probably, and I'm up at four, but I live extremely, even now where we are, I, I, you know, the company, 95% can operate on its own with, with our staff, everybody's properly trained, yep. but you know, I never slipped. I'm always on top of everything. I'm always making sure things done correctly. Yep. You know, I, I don't take vacations. I try to take a vacation once in a while to go to Florida for a couple of days, but you know, I'm completely engaged in the company while I'm still there. Um, I try to go down, you know, maybe once a month to get away. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I more than willing to sacrifice, you know, X amount of years from my life in my late forties and I'm sorry, my late thirties and forties, and then, you know, pretty much keep be set the rest of my life. Yeah. Fantastic feedback. There's lots of people again on this call be loving what you're sharing and I do appreciate it. Now I'm wondering, um, do you, do you suffer insomnia and do you ever get those sparks in the middle of the night? We have to sit up straight in bed and go, wow, I've got a great idea and I have to act on it now. It took me, <laughs> I, I, I used to wake up. I am not exaggerating at 1245 in the morning. Yep. Yep. Five in the morning, and I was just up. Like that, that was, was it. it. Yep. I was up. I would smoke cigars at like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I would make coffee and watch. I don't watch TV, but just watch whatever yeah. to, to just, just to kill time. And bored. But one of the biggest tortures for me, I'm talking about Chinese water torture, is boredom. 
I cannot get bored. I have to be operating. I have to be moving. I have to be doing something. I have to be thinking. If I get bored, I mean, shoot me. So, you know, <laughs> literally, I mean, when it was 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I used to, I mean, I've been in my office at 3.30 in the morning because I'm like, I can't take it anymore. You yeah. know, time time goes by faster in my office for some reason than, than it does in, in my own house. Yeah. So I come to work at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning and kind of wait for the office to, 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 to stroll in and get started. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm doing much better now. Thank God I'm waking up between 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning. That's good. Um, so I'm not, uh, but it drove me crazy, it drove me crazy. So tell me something, you know, I like to talk about superpowers. We've all got one thing that we do really, really well. What do you think that one thing is for you, Michael? Hyperfocus. Hyperfocus. And what does that allow you to achieve, do you think? Everything. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, a, I'm going to tell you the, the, what I call the squirrel story. So I've done interviews about this. So when I was just starting, it was, I was driving around and uh, what time, you know, late 2017, you know, I got the concept of the company late 2017, which we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had no idea where the company was going to go. I had no money. I had no credibility. I've been out of the country for five years. Um, had, I literally cut everybody off when I left. I knew almost nobody when I got back. Um, had no idea where things were going to go, but I knew I wanted to start this company. Um, so I borrowed, I didn't have any money. I, when I got back to the U.S., I had no credit. I had no bank account. I had no debit card, I had no credit card, and I had zero money. When I'm talking zero money, I, I, I had nothing. Like my mom literally gave me a credit card where I would eat for like eight to $10 a day, and then just, that was it. Like maybe by the made from the ground up. That was it. So, you know, I'm, you know driving around um, and I'd see squirrels. You know, here we have a lot of squirrels. And it, something just dawned on me where I'm like, you know, an animal's, an animal, let's use a squirrel, yep. accomplishes, accomplishes its goal because it only focuses on three things, or well, four things technically, food, water, shelter, mate. That's all really an animal's life is. That's it. So we think about it, animal has no help, it has no support, it has no nothing, it's just on its own. But the reason why animals are successful is because they're not watching sports and they're not going out and they're not doing this and they're not doing Bumming that. Around. Waking up, sleeping and they have four things in mind or three things in mind and that's literally all they do so it dawned upon me that if i do nothing else now people don't understand the extent when i say nothing else if i do nothing else besides focus on work i will have a significantly better chance of accomplishing my goal and i'll accomplish my and elon musk talks about this a lot and i'll accomplish my goal significantly faster and that's the squirrel story so when i started yeah did nothing. Like I woke up, took a shower, had coffee, ate, and I didn't have an office. I had nothing. I would go to like a Starbucks or to a cigar shop whenever they opened up, and I would just sit there for 14 hours a day and just work nonstop, come home, sleep, do it, do again. it again, do it again, do it again, do it yep. again. That's five days a week, seven days a week. Yeah. And that was, I had no friends. I had no relationships with women. Mm. I didn't go out anywhere. I did nothing. Nothing, nothing. else but focus. Nobody understands to the extent. Like, so decision fatigue, which few people know about, is something that most of the billionaires do. And, and you know, Steve Jobs and, and Zuckerberg and all of them do. People don't wondered why, you know, um, Steve Jobs is worth tens of billions and he would wear the same clothes every day. 
because it takes mental energy to focus on things that aren't making you money. I got to do my hair. I got to do this. I got to get dressed. What am I going to wear? This, people don't realize the, the human mind, you know, per 24 hours only has so much juice. Yeah. So when you burn juice on something that is irrelevant, it's costing you money and it's not accomplishing your goal. So I don't didn't focus on what I was wearing. I didn't focus on anything. I literally got up, put no effort into it. Whatever I put on, I put on. That was it. You didn't do my hair, didn't shave, nothing, and it's left the house. <laughs> cool. yep. I looked like a hobo, like nothing, <laughs> and just left the house. And uh, it, it wasn't making me money. Like, yep. it doesn't make me money. Yep. And that's the thing, isn't it? You know, get the dollars through the door. And I love this whole rags to riches story and the journey that uh, you are on, because I, again, I know a lot of people listen to this because they haven't walked the road and experienced the, the things that you have. Now, let's talk about Stratton Equities and how this actually came about. And let's deep dive into, um, I guess, the services that you're providing your clients. I'm actually going to tell you something before we get into that. that mm -hmm. Part of this story is has to do with an, with, with an Australian. So when I was in Australia, I actually met a lot of people. Um, and I met, and you're going to know who I'm talking about when I say this story. So I met a gentleman, and um, he was worth, I don't know, three or three and a half billion when I met him. Um, and he, he owned a company just called Stratton. That was it. And Stratton is owned by Robert. I forgot, I forgot his last name. I have him on my, I have him on my phone. Mm -hmm. And... He started Stratton, which is a finance company in Australia, and he started financing cars in like 19 whatever, middle in the middle of nowhere. Yep. And now Stratton is one of the largest auto financier company in all of Australia. Um, and I always loved the name. And when I came back to the States, I always loved the name. It always stuck with me. And I'm sitting there in a cigar shop. It's early 2018, late 2017, and I I don't know how I did it, by the way. I, I got uh, three equity groups to back us up. No credit, no, no credibility. They didn't have a dollar to my name. Wow. You know, they put on a suit, you know, I, but I looked the, the part. Looked the part, yep. I looked the part, which I guess was what worked. And I set up meetings with, with equity groups, one in Connecticut, one in New York, one in New Jersey. And uh, they were our backers to lend, obviously, our money to our clients. Um, and it was equity. So I put Strat in equity because they were equity groups, Strat yep. and equity together. But the, the, the name, the beginning part of, of the foundation of the name came from Rob and Stratton in Australia. Ah, wow. That's a great story. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, I've been looking through all of the different elements and there is certainly a lot to get through, much of which I don't understand. So one of those things which, uh, which I wouldn't mind um, sharing with the audience is the question, which obviously comes up a lot, which is called hard money. What is that about? Yeah, so you guys are very different with your laws and your banking laws in Australia. Um, hard money is a slang term, re really. Um, hard money, where it started, was not institutionalized. Now it's institutionalized, and I'll get to that. So hard money was pretty much a guy that had a lot of money that wanted to lend it out on the street. Mm -hmm. and. Instead of going through a bank and doing the whole process and yada, 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 they would lend out short-term financing to just get your deal done. So if you're somebody that, you know, couldn't qualify at a bank or you didn't, whatever the case may be, you know, you know, it was more based on the asset and the profitability of the asset right. and the, the equity in the asset than you. When you go to a bank, they want to know, why did you name your son John? You know what I'm saying? Like The details. The questions, the questions they asked are ridiculous, and yeah, most yeah. times it makes absolutely no sense. I agree. Um, <laughs> so, 
in two what year was it? I was 19 years old. I don't know what year it was. Um, but I bought my first investment property in Florida um, from a guy that was 60, 70 years old that was lending out, you know, hard money. And my interest rate was 24%. Wow. So that's the way it was. And then years and then after, what happened was, is, you know, we all know we had the, the, the real estate boom in, in America from 2000 to 2008. Then we had the crash, crash. Um, which is what it is. Mm -hmm. Then they extremely tightened the regulations with Obama and his guys, mm -hmm. um, 2008, 9, 10, 11. I mean, they made it so difficult that nobody was able to get a loan for 2000. It was impossible. So due to that, this whole private lending world, they pretty much saw what all the, the guidelines and regulations were that they put into place and very smart people found loopholes around them. But the kicker is it's only for investment in commercial properties. So owner, I mean, now it's kind of bleeding into owner occupied a little bit, but it's yep. never going to be fully. So yep. invest in commercial properties, which is all we do. We don't do what's called owner occupied where mm -hmm. you're living at home. Um, the guidelines and the regulations are completely different for both. Um, so it's for investing properties, and then and then money started to come from hedge funds and and multi-billion-dollar insurance companies and and et cetera, et cetera. And then it got institutionalized, and then it got a lot more regulation to it between 2011, 12. That's really when it started to kick off, and then the rates obviously started to drop significantly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, recently our rates were as low as the fours, which is ridiculous for what we do. Um, now they're creeping up because the Fed is increasing rates to, as they call it, hedge inflation. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the story in a nutshell. Of yeah, that's, what it is. that's fantastic. Now I know that, uh, from an operational standpoint, you've turned dyslexia into an asset. Can you tell us how you did that and what it means to the way you run your business, please? Sure. So the way it works, and I don't agree with it at all and it's wrong is you get these mortgage people which we call them brokers and you know they're wherever they are in the country um and some client comes to them and says i'm looking for abc loan and they don't have the, the, the product when you think about mortgage products think of cars yeah mercedes BMW, rolls royce if you work at a mercedes dealership and somebody wants a bmw well you don't have a bmw you yeah. work at mercedes Yep. So you have to then bro broker the deal out with a guy at BMW to say, hey, I got the client, you got the BMW, let's do the deal, yada, yada, yada. So you get these people that think they can just send you an email and you're going to structure a loan, which is a horrible idea. Because what happens is when people send you an email, they never tell you the whole deal. They always yeah. only tell you the good part about it. They never, you understand, you can have 30 points in in a deal which is there's actually more and one thing it doesn't add up and your deal's dead it's, it, it or, or it doesn't work so if somebody sends you an email with five characteristics or five points you don't have any of the information you really need to determine can you do the deal or not hmm. besides the fact i am like i literally hire people to read for me like i have somebody that reads for me yep. so if if it's a long paragraph it, it, if it's very detailed I just can't read it. Like I can read bullet points, but I can't read like, I, it just messes me up. Yeah, I so understand. Yep. I used to get people on the phone. A lot of people didn't like it. Like, oh, let me just send you an email. But first of all, if you're, you're lazy, I'm not gonna work with you because you don't put any effort into the deal. So it forced me to get people on the phone, 
to probe the deal, to ask the questions, to understand really what you know the nuances of it, and if you can or cannot do the deal. But if it, and, and that really helped me to have a higher conversion ratio because I was really killing deals up front mm. that were never going to move forward. Now, if you just took somebody's email and you're like, oh, okay, here's your deal now, you're going to be wasting time on the deal that's never going to work because you didn't ask 80% of the questions, the questions. you need to know. Yeah. So now the whole company operates that way where we don't do things via email. It's all done over the phone. I mean, obviously we do things via email, but we don't structure loans via email. Mm. If someone wants to talk about a loan, they go, they, it goes on the phone. Our, our, our sales team, our loan officers talk to them. They have a full condition sheet, which is a scenario sheet, which is already planned out for them, which they go line by line by line. Because by the time they get to the end of the scenario sheet, that tells them if the deal is doable, if it's not doable, what program are you going to go with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So tell us what type of client is best suited for Stratton Equities? So again, we only deal with investment in commercial properties. Mm. Um, we work with seasoned... Medium? Nah, I mean, yeah, so here's a big thing also which I'm going to talk about. Big deals never close. Mm. So when somebody comes to a $30 million deal and a $50 million deal, I mean, we got billion-dollar deals, which is insanity. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they never close. Because when somebody is qualified for $100 million... When somebody is qualified for $50 million, they don't shop around. They have people throwing, I mean, it's a Donald Trump, it's, it's an Elon Musk, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. People have money being thrown at them daily. So you're not gonna go to some guy or shop online if you're somebody that's gonna qualify for $50, $100 million or anything, or anything even near that. So, you know, the people that do are never gonna qualify and they have no money and they have no credit and it, it's just a pipe dream. Yep. So. You know, so we don't do really large deals where we generally stick below five million. You know, our sweet spot is a quarter million to three million. Um, but we do. I mean, we. I mean, the largest deal we ever did, which I did it in 2018, was 8.5 million. That was the largest deal the company ever did. Mm -hmm. um, that also helps us with moving things along faster because we're not wasting time. I mean, you get these people that get a 10, 20, 30 million dollar deal. And all they see is dollar signs. Yeah. So what they do is they hold on to that deal. They spend all day and night shopping it around to every outlet known to man. The deal realistically, because they don't know how to structure a loan, is never going to close. And they barely even have the borrower on the hook. And instead of focusing on deals with the time they have that's going to actually close and make the money, they're sitting there holding this deal around, which is never going to close. Yeah, wow. And it's, it's really useful for you and obviously your team and your sales crew to know the types of deals that you can look away from and it's fantastic. Now, um, when somebody wants to, I guess, connect with you and work with you, what is the, I guess, the vetting process and how do you go through that? Well, I mean, we, we are a lead-based mortgage company. Mm -hmm. So we do not knock on doors, we don't find business like our sales team, which every other mortgage company, you know, part of your job is a loan officer to go out and hunt out business and knock mm. on doors, and meet realtors, which is a complete headache. So with us, I, one of the things I, I learned how to do very well is push the marketing. Um, so we push the marketing and um, which actually we've dialed back on it because we've been, we're getting too many leads. Um, and it's a good problem to have. Out. It is a good problem to have. Um, so we get too many leads, so we have to dial it back. Um, but yeah, people pretty much go to the website, stratonequities.com, where they, they call into the 800 number, 
they email us and our website is designed to to intake you know leads when the lead goes in and somebody fills out a lead form um, it goes into our system and we have systems in the back end and then they, they get a call from the sales team and then they go through the process this has been a very useful call for anybody who's in this um I guess in this field and looking to get a an investment loan uh, of this sort. Now I know that there's a lot of different products that you've um, had created or created yourself. Can you maybe run us through some of your major ones? Well, the soft money, which I coined, is one of our best programs. So the way it works is you have what's called conventional financing, mm -hmm. which is a bank loan. You know, you go to a bank, whatever. Conventional financing. Conventional financing is not. They don't like investment properties. They don't like investors. Right. Um, not conducive for it at all. They like cookie cutter, vanilla, what's called owner-occupied deals. Yep. Problem is most people just know, oh, I want a loan, go to a bank, you know, go to a credit reunion, go to whatever. And that's the wrong place to go. And I'll tell you, so in the guidelines, if you're buying, oh, let's just say a one to four family home, investment property, I shouldn't say home, investment property, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. guidelines are max at 70% LTV. So 70% of the property purchase price or value is what's going to be lent on. In the soft money world, we'll go to, we potentially can go to 80 or 85 LTV. So if, if you're a new investor, which most new investors are limited on, 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 on cash, you'd obviously much rather put down 15% or 20% than put down 30%. That's number one. So, so the loan to value is higher on our programs. Plus, we don't look at tax returns and income docs. So we're right. not looking that the property is when you have an investment property, the property is supposed to be paid for by the rental. What do I care how much money you're making? You know, when you live in a home, right, your income is because you can't rent it legally. Your income is paying for the mortgage. So obviously it makes common sense that you're going to look at somebody's income because their income is going to be paying for this mortgage because they're living in the home. Yeah. When it's investment property, commercial property, a multifamily property, it's supposed to be rented out. So you're looking at the rentals and the cash flow analysis, and you're looking at the fact that is this going to get rented? What is, how fast can it get rented? When it does get rented, what are the rental comps in the area? What is it going to rent for? So we don't look at the income docs on a borrower um, because, again, it doesn't matter. We're, it looking doesn't matter. At, we're looking at the property cash flowing because yep. you're not supposed to be paying for an investment property out of your own pocket. Yeah, well, uh, again, this is great insight. You know, these are the sorts of things you can't buy experience, can you, Michael? You've got to have done this sort of work and, and and know the process. And I think this is part of the the benefit of coming to a professional like you. Now, tell us a little bit about the relationship side of things. Is this more just a transactional um, experience for your clients, or is there a longer term type of commitment from Stratton Equities? No, we work with a lot of people long term because you know we treat people very well. Um, we have programs that literally don't exist in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So people, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever you want to call it, come back and they have to come back. Obviously, we treat them very well. Yeah. Uh, we're very familiar with everything. And the big thing is, you know, we don't, we don't, we, we, we tell people up front if, if it's going to go forward or not. What most people do in the industry, which I completely don't agree with, even if you go to any bank or anything, they, they do it. They just say, yeah, yeah, apply, apply, apply. They have no idea if a loan's going to go through. They have no idea if you're going to qualify. So they end up wasting your time, wasting their company's time, wasting everybody's time, mm. you know, applying for a loan. And then, and you know, because they don't know how to qualify up front, then the loan goes through the process. Then the underwriter or the processor finds out, okay, you don't qualify. Now it's a dead deal. Yeah. So 
we know up front because our loan officers, a big thing which I didn't talk about, go through by far the most training of any company I know. We're actually setting up more training for them as we speak, um, constantly pushing on the training and pushing on the education and pushing on the knowledge um, so that they're better informed so they can better work with clients. So we know within the first phone call, um, 99% if this is going to qualify for one of our loans or not. We're not going to tell you, yeah, yeah, just put an application through. Let's go through the whole entire process. And, and then you know, find out. Let's just see what happens. You know, you know <laughs> actually, it, 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 if a loan even has a 30% or 40% chance, we don't even, I mean, everybody would, everybody would take on a loan that yeah. has a 40% chance of closing. We won't take it on. Yeah, fantastic feedback. I'm loving this call. Thank you very much. Now, if um, people want to, again, find you, is um, your website the only place that you can be found? No, we're all over the internet, but I mean, the best place is obviously the website, which is strattonequities.com. Uh, everything is there. All the contact information is there. Um, unfortunately, we don't do loans in Australia, even though we get contacted for that all the time. We get contacted from every country you can imagine. Can imagine. In India, Papua New Guinea, um, you know, London, you know, the UK, everywhere. We get people, and unfortunately, we don't do loans in those countries. Well, that's fortunate um, because the majority of uh, our listeners and, and audience are based in the States. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, so StratonEquities.com is where you can find us. Uh, all the contact information is there. Um, yeah, you know, we're always, um, we have a full sales team that's in the office. They're actually in the office right now. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, so they're, they're available, you know, most of the day. Now, I know that the day is just ramping up for you and anybody's on this call right now. Um, I hope you've uh, uh, had your ears open and taken down some notes. And if you want to learn more, you visit strattonequities.com. I'll be making sure that the link back to Michael and his wonderful team and all of the additional information that you can find directly from the website is available for you. And with all that being said, Michael, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.